heard me talking about um, learning to swim and struggling by being thrown in the deep end and feeling the terror of that. Um, I wonder if when you kind of um, go to the beach, whether you're one of the ones that kind of stands on the edge and doubles your toes in, or whether you're one kind of like, you know, some children, you just see them run headlong and kind of straight at it and and pile straight into the water. Spiritually speaking, where do you feel you're at right now? Do you feel like you're in in the shallows or do you feel you're risking the deep waters? That's really what I want to talk about tonight, what it means to be risking the deep waters. Luke shares this story it's a familiar story about a fisherman who come up empty after fishing all night they've been out all night fishing caught absolutely nothing and there's this carpenter who commandeers one of their boats preaches a sermon from the kind of edge of the waters and then he tells the fisherman where the fish actually are and hundreds of pounds weight of fish are eventually caught and the fisherman simon immediately resigns from fishing He's the professional. He stops, he gives up, and he starts fishing for people. So what's going on in this story? Is it just kind of like a fun story that's just a bit of a laugh? Or is there more to it? Is Jesus teaching us something through this physical parable? So the bit of the context of this story, Jesus approaches these fishermen, and I guess they're frustrated. They've been fishing, which... I don't know if there's any fishermen here. It just seems like a permanent frustration the few times I've been fishing. So a lot of sitting around and watching water and not much else. But here they are. These are professionals. It's their job. And they've been fishing all night. And they're cleaning their nets. They're probably sewing up their nets, which would happen at the end of the day. If you've ever been around a harbour, you see the fishermen cleaning them, pulling all the rubbish out, sewing up where there are holes and trying to bring a bit of restoration. That's what's going on in this minute. They're trying to kind of restore the nets there and get them repaired stow them, get them ready for the next night finish. And they probably want to go home. They're ready for some food. They've had a fruitless night and they want to head home for a sleep. And Jesus the carpenter comes down to the edge of the water and he climbs into Simon's boat, we're told, and tells him to move the boat out into the shallows. There's a whole crowd who are following Jesus. It's actually a brilliant platform to speak from because his voice would have travelled across the water really, really well. But it's also gave him a little bit of space from the crowds who were pressing in really tight on him the masses that had been following him. And Peter, we don't know if he knows much about Jesus, but he obeys. There's something about Jesus. There's something about his presence, something that kind of forces Simon to go, okay. And so he goes out into the shallows and I imagine carries on in the boat, maybe cleaning his net, doing a bit of sewing and listening to what Jesus is saying. And when Jesus has finished preaching, when he's been finished sharing this word, he turns to Simon in the boat and says, I I want you to go out deeper into the water and throw your nets over the side and this is the key moment this is the point where one of two things could have happened Simon almost blows it in fact he almost completely ruins it and he says to Jesus in what I'm sure would have been an exasperated and tired tone hey man look we've been fishing all night we know fish we're fishermen right Fish don't run in the day. You don't catch fish in the day. That's why we fish at night. The fish, they just, you know, you can't catch them in the daytime. And anyway, who are you? You're like, you're like a carpenter, kind of doing a bit of preaching on the side, aren't you? This is all going on in Peter's... It doesn't actually say that, not even in the message. But that's, what, that's what's kind of going on, I'm sure, in Simon's head. And even though he's tired, and even though he thinks this is slightly mad... 
He respects Jesus enough and knows there's something here going on. Even though he thinks it's a waste of time, he obeys. And he does. And, you know, I think sometimes the truth is we often respond a bit like Simon when we hear God telling us to move out into deeper waters. And that will mean different things to different people here. But when God says, look, this is a season of new challenge. This is a season of new opportunities. This is a season of new beginnings. You might have heard it in a sermon or you might have sensed it in worship. Or you've got a friend who's kind of really kind of challenging you to go deeper with Jesus. And this internal voice goes, yeah, but it's going to be a waste of time, isn't it, for me? I've done it before. It's not fruitful. It doesn't really work. How do you respond when Jesus calls you to go into deeper waters? What, what might be your inner little voice now? Or when Paul was speaking last week on the Holy Spirit. You know, often we can argue with God that actually it's much, it's much nicer, it's much, much more pleasurable, much more pleasant here in the shallows. For a start, the water's warmer, right? If you've ever stood on a beach in, in the shallow water, it's warmer. It's warmer around your ankles, it's warmer around your feet. In the shallows, you can see the bottom, can't you? You can see your toes, you can see the sand, and that's a bit more consoling, really. Out there, where it's deep, you can't see what's down there. It's dark. I'm not sure what might be swimming around my toes. That's a bit more scary. Here in the shallows, I'm safe, right? I'm in control. It's okay. I'm comfortable in the shallows. It's good. It's all good. Don't need any more. I mean, I'm right. I'm okay, aren't I? I'm here, and it's all right. I mean, I got in, didn't I? I'm in the water. Surely that's enough. Don't, don't make this any harder by telling me to go out, out there where it's really, really deep and I don't know what's going to happen. Being out of control. Being out of my depth. That's what we say, isn't it? But God, I believe, calls us to go into deeper waters. And God, I believe, is calling his church in these days to go deeper. It's Narnia, isn't it, where it talks about coming, was it, further up and further in. And there's always more of God to discover. There's always more of God to encounter and engage with if we are willing. We can just sort of stay back and not bother. We can watch everyone else. God wants us to go into the deeper waters. He's calling to you to go into deeper waters. For us all to do that, it's a constant call. Come in further, come in higher, come in deeper. There's more to experience. What does deeper look like? Well, it might be to love our enemies, to feed the hungry, to clothe the poor, to give abundantly, to share the gospel freely, to tell your colleagues, your workplaces, your friends, your neighbours, your housemates about Jesus, to pray for the sick, to forgive extravagantly, to live a life of abundance. There's a deeper place that God's calling us. But deep water is dark, right? I don't know, a few years ago, um, we went on holiday to Loch Ness. Do you remember going there on a boat? Beautiful place. Very, very deep, apparently. Who knew? Uh, But like properly, properly deep. I mean, properly, properly, ludicrously deep. I used to know statistics about it. Basically, they tell you that it's really deep. Um, Can't get any more technical than that. But when we were there, we, <laughs> we, I, I, I went to Scotland when I was young. I was always fascinated with Loch Ness Monster. And I remember we were on a boat on Loch Ness for a week. 
And we were sailing across Loch Ness, and we were joking all week, my friends and I, and I was with my friend Craig, and we was like, oh, there's a Loch Ness monster, and we looked out, and in the distance I could see these horns sticking out of the water. And Craig was like, oh yeah, Loch Ness monster, oh yeah. I just got a wake behind it. She just got a head on it. So we powered up to this thing, there was an enormous set of horns travelling across. It was a stag that had fallen in, <laughs> swimming across Loch Ness. Strangest thing you've ever seen. wasn't Loch Ness monster. But the thing about Loch Ness is it's so deep, it's black, completely black. And part of that is the water up there, but the peat, but also mainly it's because of the depth. And it's kind of pretty scary. I remember, Sarah, you wouldn't swim in it, would you? Because it was too black, it was too deep, you couldn't see anything. Even near the edges, there was just didn't know what was down there. And sometimes... Going deep is scary. It's over our heads. We feel out of control. Going deeper takes faith, takes courage. And it's in the deep waters that we catch what God has for us. He wants to invite us out of the shallows to a more deep experience of who he is. And sadly, I'd suggest many of us, many followers of Jesus, never venture out of the shallow waters. They remain in a safe place. They cast their nets and they wonder why they never catch much fish. They often come back empty. Moving into deep waters requires us to pull up our anchor and to turn our life over to God's hands and God's call to go out into the deep places, to turn our life over to God's control. And that's often a scary thing. After a while, we move, as we move deeper and deeper, we begin to get literally in over our heads, and that can be disconcerting. But we begin to find that we're in a place that's unrestrained, where we begin to see amazing things happen, where our nets can bring in an incredible bounty of provision. And our nets can be filled with God's blessings in the deep places because it's not about us anymore. It's all about him. So do you want to go to the deep places with God and experience the depth of his love? Or are you happy just splashing in the shallows? Last week, Paul was... um, Paul Wakeley, as I said, was speaking all about the Holy Spirit and and abiding in him and and, and, and receiving from him and then encountering him as we dwell in his presence. And we're amazed by his grace and his power and his love for us. And for some people last week, it was beautiful as we had a prayer opportunity and loads of people came forward and we prayed and people were where, where they were. We were praying and God was moving beautifully for some people. At pastorate, we were sharing this week, some people were sharing testimony about, about the Holy Spirit and how God had encountered their lives. And for some people, there was just an incredible sense of peace. You could see them like soaking in God's presence, in his love. It was amazing praying for Gordon and really feeling God's power on you. And, just, and seeing God's power at work in him. As God's spirit moves, he moves in different ways. But the journey is not about the physical, whether we're shaking or falling over or laughing. It's not about that at all. It's about what's happening inside. Are we going deeper with God? Are we being taken into a deeper place with him? I talked about a beach experience. If you've ever gone to a beach, I love watching people. It's one of my favorite hobbies. Not in a weird way, right? But (laughs) if you go to a beach, particularly in England... You go to a beach and you sit on the beach and there's these people. People have a different, different people have a different way of getting into the water, right? I mean, there's some people who spend 45 minutes getting changed behind a towel and all that. And then eventually, when they're ready, they sort of start walking to the water. And as they get there, they're like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. And they go back. 
And other people get there and they think, I'll stand with my toes in the water for about an hour till the bottom inch of my foot gets acclimatized to the water and then maybe I'll go in a little bit more. And other people are kind of like shin dabblers. They're going up their shin and you go, and then they'll just stay there. And as I said, there are children sometimes that just come, you know, they just fling their clothes off and run naked. And I'm not suggesting anyone does that, please. Just run at the water without any thought or inhibition or anything. And they hit the water with arms going like windmills and legs going and just fling themselves into the waves. I have no idea how people do that. It's madness. And sometimes when people do that, if you're standing, if you're one of the kind of toe dibblers on the edge and someone runs at the water and starts splashing wildly... Generally, that causes everyone to step back and go, oh, it's freezing, freezing, freezing. Or, you know, you get those really annoying family members who are in the water and you're trying to go in really, really slowly. I'm thinking of my children here. And they're like, Dad, and they're splashing the water. That will get me out of the water. I'm back with my book. But sometimes we're a bit like that with the Holy Spirit. There are some people who will run headlong into ministry times and their arms are flailing and they're having a wonderful time and they just love it and it's glorious. And for other people, sometimes there's an inhibition, there's a fear. It's not the cold, but there's an uncertainty of what it's like, and it's dipping your toes in. And and I recognize sometimes those of us that are wild and crazy can put off the kind of toe dibblers who need to get in slowly. However you get into the water, whether you're a running headlong, or whether you're a toe, and then a shin, and then a knee, and then a thigh, and you do it slowly, the important thing is, are you heading deeper? doesn't matter necessarily the speed of your journey, but are you willing to go deeper to the point where you're swimming in God's presence? Ezekiel 47, I think someone read it last week actually, it talks about a river that flows from the temple. It's a beautiful passage and you know, if you remember that passage, it's talking about a river of healing that flows and brings life. And, um, and, and first of all, the person's walking and he's first of all, he's ankle deep, then he's kind of knee deep and thigh deep and then he's kind of shoulder deep and then swimming in the depth where actually can't feel the bottom anymore and has to swim. That's the journey that God is trying to take us because actually when we're in control and you touch the bottom and you feel safe, well, that's okay because God's kind. But there comes a point where it's so deep, you have to take your feet off the bottom to swim. <laughs> Otherwise you drown. So it's not a good idea to do that. And when you do that, you are no longer in control. And there's something about that in our journey with God where actually we do need to relinquish control of our hearts and lives because God wants to control and steer us and take us deeper into his purpose. Revelation 22 talks about the same river. It says in Revelation 22, there's a river of water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. I want to be some, if, if there's a river of life and a river of joy and a river of healing that's flowing from the very throne room of God that we can experience. I don't want to be the type of person that's just sitting on the bank dipping my toes in. I want to be swimming in a river of God's living water and joy and healing. But that means going deeper. That means relinquishing control. I love that passage we had from Isaiah. It's a familiar passage. So in chapter 6, we hear that the king has died. And the politics in these days is actually really, really bad. People are corrupt. The economy stinks. um, And vitally, people actually in in the culture of Israel at that time aren't interested in God anymore. It's interesting, isn't it? People are corrupt. Economy stinks. No one's interested in God. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Well, there's this king, King Uzziah. And actually, he'd been a good king and he dies 
um, at the beginning of this passage. This king had ruled successfully for about 52 years and was probably not only a good king um, in God's eyes, but he was probably the last great king of the southern kingdom. Under his reign, Israel had prospered materially and managed to subdue other nations around like the Philistines and Ammonites and others like, uh, others like that. But now Isaiah is dead. It's like, a, it's like a kind of key water change moment, really. And things don't look good for Israel, for the southern kingdom. And, and it's in this context of it's all going wrong and people are turning their backs on God. And, and Isaiah, the prophet, is sensing from God that, you know, things are getting messy and people are turning away from God. Instead of turning towards him, they're giving in to their own desires. And in this context, Isaiah kind of, well, he decides he wants to encounter God. He wants to go and spend some time abiding with his father, abiding with God. And so he goes into the temple and he has this vision. He, he longs to make contact with God, to find God's purpose, to God, find God's will. He wants to go deep with God at a time when no one else, at this time of crisis. And in this moment, amazing, he has this face-to-face encounter with God. He comes face-to-face with the real king of Israel, sitting on his throne high and lifted up. It's an incredible passage. It's kind of amazing, this image that we read in Isaiah 6. He sees God in all his glory. God in person. King Isaiah might be dead, but Jehovah, the the ruler of heaven and earth, is alive and well. And he sees behind the earthly throne to this uh, heavenly throne, sees God. And there's five things that Isaiah sees that I think we need to see and that has relevance for us going deeper. First thing is Isaiah gets this incredible vision of God. And it's amazing, this vision of God. There's real kind of order and and harmony and dignity here. This passage, it's incredible what he sees. There's majestic splendor. There's awesomeness. There's this profound, stirring vision of God in, in perhaps ways that we can't understand quite what's going on. But he's in this great temple. And he's sitting on a throne and he's high and lifted up. And there's a seraphim. There's kind of angels, kind of Big, beastly angels, massive ones kind of around him. And they're constantly crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the place is shaken and there's a sense of awe and wonder. This smoke kind of filling the temple. It reminds me of the vision that we see in Revelation. And, you know, sometimes we need to realize that God is holy, right? We say, say the word Holy. God's holy, isn't he? He's holy. God's holy. Sometimes in modern kind of charismatic church, not just charismatic church, but kind of modern Christianity, sometimes it can all get a little bit matey with God. All right, God, all right, Jesus, you're my mate. All right, buddy. All right. Yeah, good. All right. Yeah, good day. Yeah, I've had a good day. Cheers. You've had a good day. Yeah, I've had a good day. Right. And we get on with our lives. The Father longs for us to have intimacy with his Son. He longs for us to get to know the Holy, Holy Spirit. Last week we were talking about that book, you know, Good Morning Holy Spirit. He longs for us to have intimacy and friendship with the Holy Spirit. He longs for us to know that the Father is a good Father. That he's kind, he's compassionate, he's caring, he's glorious, he's merciful, he's gentle, he's faithful. His love is never-ending. He's slow to anger and abounding in love. He wants us to know all those things, but he is also holy. He is not a God to be trifled with. He's not a God who's your small mate, 
your, bo- your buddy. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He's the one who threw the stars into space, the billions of stars we see and the billions upon billions that we can't see. He's the God that created the heavens and the earth. He's the God of all power. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess. And one, blood, one drop of the blood of Jesus causes every principality and power, every demonic force to tremble in fear because of the glory of Jesus, who was high and lifted up on the cross. He's your friend and he's your saviour, but he's not your mate. He's your Lord, he's your king, he's your redeemer. He's the one who loves you. He's the one who is a brother who would put his arm around you. Because he's your brother, he's your friend, he's your saviour, but he's not your mate. He's holy. He's not to be trifled with. He's glorious. He's high and lifted up. And let me tell you, if you, like Isaiah, saw God in that vision, you would not go, wow, that's pretty cool. You'd be flat on your face, probably in terror, (laughs) holy or Not because he wants you to be afraid of him, but because you'd have such a revelation of his glory, you would tremble. And that's why sometimes in worship, you know, worship isn't just about singing, you know, Jesus, you're my girlfriend songs again and again and feeling nice and fluffy about yourself. Worship is about drawing into the throne room of God and realizing him in all his majesty. And then even more songs of worship rise up because we realize he's such a great God. Because even though he is glorious and holy and awesome and all powerful with eyes like lightning and such dominion and power, we can go into his throne room because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Not because of who you are or what I am, but because of his grace and his mercy. But we need to begin with an understanding that he's king, like properly king, king of kings and lord of lords. Not just nice words. He is the king. So Isaiah gets this revelation of him. Isaiah 40, a few chapters later. Isaiah 4 to 28, 29, he says this. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired and weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. I believe we all, all of us, need a fresh revelation, a fresh encounter with God, a fresh vision of who he is. We sing that old great hymn, don't we? Be thou my vision. And, and we really do sing it, and I mean it, and I love it. But, you know, some, some, there should be a little tremble inside when we say that. Be that my vision. I long to see Jesus. And sometimes he's so kind, we see a beautiful vision of Jesus. But actually, when Jesus is kind of, when the heavens are peeled back, and we see him in all his glory, then I think there's a tremble that should be there, because he truly is Lord. That's a really good place to start, realizing that he's, he's a God not to be trifled with, a God who has so much power. And so therefore, it shouldn't surprise us that sometimes when we pray for people and God's Holy Spirit turns up, we shouldn't be surprised that people shake a bit. They might fall over. When people pray for me and I get in the presence of God, I usually cry. I weep and weep and weep and weep. And it's, it's not humiliating because I don't care anymore because I love God so much. I don't care what my body does. But part of it is just being so overwhelmed with his love and his power that that's the only response I can make. I mean, if I'm often face down on the floor as well. And actually, we see that all through scripture. That when God turns up, it often says people kind of were on the floor prostrate. And we imagine they kind of got down very carefully and went, oh, Lord. I suspect they just hit the floor because of the glory of God's presence. We see that right the way through the Old Testament. And we see it through all of church history. 
We need a fresh encounter, a fresh revelation, a fresh vision of who God is. Because let me tell you, when you know how big God is, some of our big problems begin to feel quite small in comparison to him. It's not minimizing the problems we face. Some here face incredible trauma. But your God is a lot bigger, a lot bigger. That's the first thing. Fresh, he got a vision of God, and we all need a vision of God. The second thing is, in the light of that vision of God, he got a clearer vision of who he was. Verse 5, then he said, having seen this staggering, glorious revelation, and and not being burnt up by it, but having seen it, he says in verse 5, then said I, woe is me, for I'm undone. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. There's something about the holiness of God that when we get exposed to it, it's a bit like we go, ah, I'm really, and suddenly we're reminded of just how unholy we are. And in that moment, we can feel rubbish about ourselves. You know, at that moment where we encounter God's holiness, sometimes we can step away. That's why sometimes in worship it's quite exposing, isn't it? When we sing about God's goodness and his love, and sometimes we draw a bit close to him, part of us goes, oh, but I can't come here because I know what a rat I am. I know the struggles that I have. His holiness does expose our brokenness, our sin. And in some ways, you never get a real picture of who you are until you see yourself in the presence of the living God. It's a bit like looking in a mirror. When we get close to God, we encounter him. We heard that in that story with Jesus. Did you see it with with the disciples? So there's Simon in the boat, and he hears Jesus preaching, and that's pretty cool, and he's obviously quite moved by it. And then Jesus says to him, go out into the deeper waters, and he's thinking, in that case, there's nothing out there, it's daytime, but okay, I'll do it, I'll obey. And he goes out to the deep waters, and he throws his nets over the side. You can imagine him thinking, well, this is a waste of time. And then the nets are filled, absolutely busting, so much so they have to get the other boats in to try and get all the fish out. And what does Simon do in that moment when the glory of God is revealed? Do you notice what he said? He fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Ever been like that in a church service or in the middle of worship? When Jesus, totally unrationally, seemingly, totally without merit, does something really amazing for you, shows you how much he loves you. And we just think, crap, I'm just so bad. That's God's mercy though, isn't it? He doesn't wait for Simon to go, I know I'm a sinner. And then Jesus says, well done, my son, for confessing your sin. Now I will reward you with much fish. You know, that's how we would do it, wouldn't we? That's what our education system says. Get yourself sorted. Here's the reward. God's kindness is... Here's my love and my reward. Completely unmerited, completely undeserved. At which point we have a choice. We can go, yeah, great, cheers. Thanks, mate. Or actually what more often happens is confronted with such a lavish, outrageous love, we think, Lord, I don't deserve it. And Jesus says, exactly. Have some more. Because that's grace. That's what grace is. In the light of his love, we understand who we truly are. But it's conviction, not condemnation with the Holy Spirit. You know, we might often feel, I'm just so rubbish, I'm awful, I'm useless, I'm terrible. And Jesus says, no, you're not. I love you. You're worth the death of my son. He brings 
the presence of Jesus brings a revelation about our state, but it brings the opportunity for transformation. He doesn't leave us in that place of feeling, well, I'm rubbish, I'm useless now. No, Jesus wants to transform us. We can only be transformed, I would suggest, though, if we're aware of our great need for transformation. And in these moments, Isaiah says, well, I've seen the glory of God and I'm rubbish. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And Simon sees this glorious revelation of God's lavish bounty and provision. He says, woe is, woe is me. I'm a sinner. And what happens in both situations? Well, God turns to Isaiah. God turns to Simon and says, yeah, that's okay. You are, but I can transform you. And for transformation, you need something really powerful. If you, need to tran- if you need to move a massive lump of rock, I was traveling through a railway cutting the other day, and, and they shifted all this rock. And how they got it out? Well, they didn't do it with a kind of trowel. They blew it out with dynamite. Sometimes in our lives, we need something big, powerful to shift the brokenness of our hearts. Which is why, as I was saying on pastor that day, the Holy Spirit is often described with the word dunamis which is where we get our word dynamite. Acts 1.8 But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But you will receive dynamite, says Jesus. You'll receive dynamite. You won't receive this nice, oh, I've had a nice fluffy feeling, someone prayed for me. Now you're going to get dynamite. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of dynamite and love and sound mind. God's given you a spirit of dynamite. He's given you a spirit of power, dunamis power, that can blow through the most stubborn of circumstances. We have a vision of God. We see who we are. We recognize our own brokenness. And God says, well, I can transform that. And amongst that, we get a clear vision of others as well. Do you notice with Isaiah? He says, woe to me, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live in a, with, in a people of unclean lips. It's like Isaiah suddenly gets this revelation. Actually, you know, we, we live in a world where most people, you know, I know it's Brexit and I know it's a mess. and I know, But actually, generally, we're all right. You know, we know probably tomorrow we're going to have enough food and we're going to have shelter and you're going to go home tonight and you're going to be able to, you know, watch Vera or something on telly. You're going to be able to get breakfast tomorrow and you'll probably be safe and... You know, for many of us, the world's an okay place. And most of your friends, they seem together, even with or without Jesus, they seem all right. But sometimes we get a revelation and we see the truth of what it is, which is people who don't know Jesus are lost. That's the truth. Your friends on your course might seem really happy. They might be partying their lives away. But the truth is, if they don't know Jesus, they are lost. That's clear. Scripture says that. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, And come short of the glory of God. Isaiah 64, uh, 6 says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We're all shriveled up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. And Isaiah realizes, in in the revelation of how amazing God is, he realizes, you know what, the world's screwed. We're in a mess. I'm in a mess. We're all in a mess. Is there any hope? But he sees the brokenness of those around him and he feels something in his heart. He feels compassion for the brokenness. And at that point, we could feel really hopeless, right? God's really glorious. I'm a mess. We're a mess. It's all a mess. But he has a fresh vision. He has a vision of God's redemptive power in the midst of all this. 
And this is the call for us to go deeper. Isaiah 6, 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim, one of these crazy wild angels, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my lips and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. That's the point. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, wherever you're at right now, God's grace can reach you. God can atone. God can heal. God can transform. God can cleanse. God can restore. Sins wiped away. Sins purged. And if that's your story, which I know many of you in the room it is, that's a really powerful story that the world needs to hear. Last um, pastor, we got people to share their encounters with the Holy Spirit, their stories of good news. Just really beautiful, really, really moving. Each of us have a story of encountering God. It will be different for each of us. But I encourage you to think about your story. You know, you might think, well, I'm not a one-legged drug dealer from Albania who was kind of trafficked and, and then I found Jesus. You might think, well, I just grew up in a church and that's it. Well, your story is beautiful and amazing and powerful. Your story is a story of his grace his transformation, his, his call for you to go deeper with him. And this is the last thing that I want to say. So Isaiah had a vision of God, realized how awesome, how glorious, how holy he was. In the light of that, he realized his own brokenness and need and the brokenness of those around him as well. And then understanding his brokenness and the brokenness of the world, he realized that God was a God who could bring healing and transformation, a fresh beginning. And so in the light of that, having had a a vision of God's redemptive power, he gets a real vision of the potential for his life. And God says, who will I send? And he's like the little keener in class. He's like, me, 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 pick me, pick me, pick me, send me. I wonder if you've ever felt like that. (laughs) I wonder if you've ever been that child in class. Well, you know, sometimes... We wish we could be the person that could say that to God. But we look around us and we see lots of other superstars in the church. We see better evangelists and people who are more holy and people who are brilliant at prophesying and people who are great with kids and people at the front. And and I'm I'm just me, God. I'm here. I'm saved. That's good. But I'm not sure. Is there much more? And the whole of heaven looks at you and says, but I've got a calling for you that no one else No one else in all of history can fulfill. That's why I gave you birth. That's why I formed you in your mother's womb. That's why I called you. That's why I set you apart. You have a call. If you have a pulse, you have a call that's unique. Most of you tonight have a pulse. You're called by name. You're chosen. You're set apart. And I dare you. When God says tonight, who will go for me? Maybe you'll be like one of the little kids in class. You kind of know the answer, but you're a bit afraid of being picked or you're not sure. I dare you to put a finger that high (laughs) to say, here I am, probably. (laughs) Pick me, maybe. Because if you even do that, God will say, wonderful. Because those God calls, he equips, and he sends his Holy Spirit to empower you. He'll never send you out into the world on your own. You're not sent out as an orphan. You're sent out in the power of his spirit, and you're sent as a family. We are sent together. Here am I, send me. 
I pray that will be all of our call and our response tonight. And where does God send us? Well, he calls us into the deeper waters. And, and even that here in my send me, well, that's a step into the deeper waters. I recognize that some of you, what might God call you to? Well, for some of you, it is called to the mission field, maybe. For some of you, it's called into areas of ministry in the workplace. For others, it's called to your neighbors to share, to express the gifts that God has given to you. When Simon obeyed Peter, he got out into the deeper waters. And that's where Simon began to understand that God was God. And it's always best to trust and obey because God does know what he's doing. Jesus does know what he's doing. When he tells you to put the nets down on the other side of the boat, when he tells you to go into deep waters, it's because he longs for you to be fruitful, for you to be a blessed blessing. So when God instructs us to go into the deeper waters, well, do we hesitate? Are you going to hesitate over this week? Do you want to linger in the shallows? I would suggest... That if you want a life of excitement and challenge and encounter and being stretched and feeling out of your depth, but experiencing when you're out of your depth the incredible, saving, glorious power of God, then to be out of your depth, you need to be out of your depth. You need to go deep. Come out of the shallows. Go deeper. Go further. Experience his grace and love. We're going to finish. I'm going to get the band to come up. And I'd love to pray for us. So, um, why don't we all close our eyes? It's a good place to start. I'd love to pray for us. You know, I I recognize when I'm preaching this sermon, I'm, I'm speaking to myself as well. Because however deep you are, there's always more of God's love, God's stretching to experience. Holy Spirit, you call us out into deeper waters. Not because you're mean or vindictive and you want to scare us, but because you want to stretch us so that we can become more heavily reliant on you. And Lord, to learn to swim, it's no good spending your life walking around ankle deep in water. To learn to experience the full, overwhelming vastness of your grace and mercy, we have to learn to swim in it and encounter it and experience it. But Lord, we know like Isaiah and like Simon, often we get stuck in the physical and we lose sight of who you are in all your glory. So I pray, Father, that you would give us a fresh glimpse of your glory. Lord, we say that with trembling because we know it's not a light thing we ask. Moses asked to see your glory. And in that, you showed him your kindness, your great love. Lord, you're not a God that consumes us, although you could because you're holy. But you're a God who cleanses and transforms us with your holy fire. When we yield to you, when we bend the knee, when we we recognize our own brokenness and sin, you offer to cleanse us with your holy fire. You take away our sin. It's been atoned for in Christ on the cross. So we can be a people who are free of fear. 
So in this moment, as we begin to worship, Holy Spirit, we invite you again in our own individual hearts, in our own individual lives. We lay our lives before you. We ask for a fresh revelation of your glory. We ask, Lord, that we'd see ourselves as we truly are, not deluded, not with a distorted vision. But we'd recognize our own brokenness. We'd recognize the areas of our hearts and lives that that aren't yet yielded to you. We'd recognize that we're in dark days where the world longs and needs to hear the good news of Jesus. But we'd experience the cleansing, healing power of Christ bringing transformation to our hearts and lives, to our minds, to our bodies. And that we'd be equipped to take that good news into the world because the call from heaven comes to us. Who will go for me? And you long for your church to arise. And Lord, the church isn't someone else. It's us. It's me. It's everyone sitting in this place tonight who loves you, Jesus, called to go. Lord, here am I. Send me. May that be our heart response. Not by might, not by power, but by your Holy Spirit. Just listen to what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you now. And as we begin to worship in a moment, you know, sometimes we just stand and we sit and we do that whole thing. But I I genuinely want you to yield your heart to God. And as you begin to worship, in an act of obedience of saying, I'm going to go deeper, whatever that means, Lord. Then as we begin to worship... I just invite you to stand where you are. I'm not going to do a call to the front. I just invite you to stand and in your heart make that a declaration. Lord, I want to go deeper.